it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. It's Wednesday. Thanks so much for being here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have a lot to get to, including two great guests, Rich Lowry at the bottom of the hour, editor of National Review, and Brett Baer, chief political anchor for Fox News, of course, special report. Bill's got a great book, bestseller already. It's called To Rescue the Constitution, George Washington and the Fragile American Experiment. Which has never looked, it's getting me a little worried these days uh, because a lot of things going on in Capitol Hill and an election coming up. But before we go any further, uh, this will be one of the busiest days I can remember. Today we might be electing a speaker at noon and the president's going to have a press conference at 1230. And of course we got the ongoing trial in New York City with Donald Trump. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Democracy is messy sometimes, but it is our system. This conference that you see, this House Republican majority, is united. They sounded it then, but they were missing 19 people. I've always said, four is the charm. Okay, I've never said that, but I'm going to pretend I did. It's been three weeks after Kevin McCarthy's undeserved ousting. Now it looks like Louisiana Mike, Louisiana's own Mike Johnson, will give it a go. And the word is he is going to get the speaker spot. We'll review it. Number two. But I think at some point, if this continues, what we're seeing being done by the Iranian-supported Shia militia in Iraq, that there will have to be a response to Iran, not not to those uh, militias. General David Petraeus, Iran surrogates attacking U.S. forces in greater numbers by the day and in greater casualties than we were told. Shockingly, we continue not to hit back. Why does this president not understand that weakness only begets more attacks? Number one. The urban warfare situation they're going to find themselves in is going to be very violent and very bloody. But the longer that you delay, it just allows your adversary to continue to to prepare and to dig in. And Israel runs the risk of losing its political support if it lets this go for too long. Israel at war, but could they be open to a pause for people, specifically hostages? While it's great for innocent captives, how it plays right into the blood-soaked hands of Hamas bothers me. Meanwhile, calls for U.N. Secretary to resign as he tries to justify the Hamas attacks. Uh, Let's welcome in Brett Baer. Hey, Brett. I know it. I would love to sit there and talk about the book. The world's gone crazy just as you released your book. How hard has it been? <laughs> Morning. It's um, it's not easy. You know, it's trying to to break through. And um, but listen, you got to cover the news. The news yeah. drives the day, and um, and that's what's most important. I've got a. I'm at the Nixon Library today, and you've been there. It's you know a great turnout and. A lot of people really interested in what's going on. And you mix talking about the book with talking about what's going on. I mean, it is a fragile American experiment that fits pretty well in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's just really it's that period between 1783 and 1789 where we were living off the Articles of Confederation and it wasn't working. And the states were going, I'd rather, like, you know what, I'll stay by myself, thank you. I'm done with this yeah. war debt. And you talk about how in, uh, out of the locker room, with the house on fire comes George Washington and how they put it all together. It's a great book, uh, and we'll get to it. But, Brett, on this, I have reason to believe that Mike Johnson's going to get it today. 
19 people missed the caucus vote yesterday. Three were absent, but most people believe he's got them. He's got what it takes. I think it's, let's say, I'll say 75% chance that he's going to get it in um, with the numbers. He did vote against the, you know, election results. He voted to overturn um, the certification. And, you know, there is some some issue there. So if there were not the numbers, Democrats may not be inclined to walk out and help him out. Um, In other words, if the problem solvers, the moderate Democrats would go out of the room and not be present, the number would lower that he would need and thereby get the number he needed. Um, So I think he's got the numbers. I think it's 75 percent chance. But. You don't know in this environment, and I do think that, uh, believe it or not, Kevin McCarthy is still, you know, around the um, around the hoop. Yeah, you should explain this to people because last night in the vote, first uh, uh, Tom Emmer got it and Trump truth socialed him and said Tom Emmer's a rhino, don't like him, uh, so he got heat tanked, and then in comes uh, another vote. Byron Donalds was third, I guess. Uh, somebody else got 43, so then you had Mike Johnson get it. Uh, and then it turns out 43 of the 44 other votes were to Kevin McCarthy. And there was talk of a Johnson-McCarthy, excuse me, a Johnson and McCarthy-Jordan ticket. How would that work? There was going to be a power sharing. Uh, I don't even fully understand it. <laughs> um, and I think it was kind of just made up. Uh, but McCarthy somehow would get back into power, and there would be a deputy speakership, um, and that kind of went by the wayside. But I will say, if Johnson doesn't get it, McCarthy is probably next in line to try again, and that's insane. But you're right. It's probably Johnson – but there's still a lot of doubt. So this is what people are saying. For example, I texted a moderate today. He said, absolutely. I texted a conservative. They said, absolutely perfect. Ken Buck, Mr. No, says yes. Chip Roy says, perfect. Carlos Jimenez, who was McCarthy or bust, now is going along with it. There was no backbiting. There was no uh, snarky comments at the end. Three voted present but a convertible, but you could miss three. 19 missed the votes. But people like Derek Van Orden, I don't even know if they're back yet. I would think yesterday, didn't he do an interview in Israel? So we'll see if he's going to be, yeah, see if he's going to be back in time. I just know this has been embarrassing for the country. And he had 128 votes. 44 Republicans voted for nominees not on the ballot. And 43 of those votes were to McCarthy. And as I mentioned, 20 or 19 missed it. Evangelical Christian opposed funding Ukraine, which I personally think is a bad move. But the caucus evidently thinks that's a good move. So we'll see where that goes. But they got to get back to work. And I asked a couple of them, you, have you guys been doing anything? They said, yes, yeah, some committee work, but legislation's all stalled. And then they got to go earn money and raise money. But in this cycle, Brett, I don't think it's hard to imagine this not being a big deal by next year at this time. That's true. Um, I think it's if they get their house in order, <laughs> no pun intended, I think um, it's possible that this is all kind of a blip in time. But, uh, you know, there are going to be calls for the supplemental that the president wants to put forward, the $106 billion. That includes, obviously, support for Israel and support for uh, Taiwan and support for Ukraine and support for the southern border. Uh, And I think there's going to be a lot of Republicans, and maybe Mike Johnson included, who want to break that up 
um, specifically about the Ukraine funding. So uh, are we looking at, from your best estimation at this hour, a possible pause to let more hostages out? Yeah, I think everybody I talk to thinks that um, not only a push from the U.S., but the Israelis themselves are are working to get more hostages out. I, I don't think it's um, out of the question that, that there's just a little bit of a pause before a major operation. They are poised. I hear that there's some back and forth internally between uh, Israeli military and Israeli politicians, who's ready, who's ready to go. Uh, and, you know, it's it's probably not long, but they are going to try to push for some more releases. You only have had four out of, you know, 220 plus. Uh, so that could be a long time if you're waiting in that, that level. Hey, uh, Brett, you just were over in the Middle East. You understand in that region they only understand force and retaliation to stop the next retaliation. And now we find out more details about the U.S. being under attack Two dozen American servicemen were injured in attacks in Iraq and over near Syria bases. We know the destroyer was targeted over off the coast of Yemen. Here's what Brigadier General Pat Ryder said, Pentagon spokesperson, said yesterday. Uh, cut 16. Between October 17th and the 24th, uh, U.S. and coalition forces have been attacked at least 10 separate times in Iraq and three separate times in Syria uh, via a mix of one-way attack drones and rockets. So... We have now, uh, we find out there are more casualties than they told us originally. They said one guy had a heart attack. Now it turns out 20, uh, many people were hurt. Most are back on the job. But we have not answered. And how damaged, I believe it's so damaging for a reputation not to answer these militias and do a preemptive strike. We know exactly where they are. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Brian. I think, I wonder if there is this reticence to somehow, somehow get deeper into something with Iran and that we've saw we've seen this with this administration from the beginning you know I've asked General Keene this I've asked Senators Kuhn and and, uh, Kuhns and Thune who are just back from uh, Israel and all three of them said that there has to be some kind of response measured uh, pointed but you can't let it just stand and uh, you wonder whether that's going to happen or when that's going to happen. So at the U.N. yesterday, to me, this just oozes weakness. Here's our Secretary of State, Cut 17. The United States does not seek conflict with Iran. We do not want this war to widen. But if Iran or its proxies attack U.S. personnel anywhere, make no mistake, we will defend our people, we will defend our security swiftly, and decisively. Uh, but we're not. Uh, the president said don't, and they did, and we did not do anything. And what he said, if we didn't get hit 24 times, if we didn't have 90 unresponded uh, attacks at various locations in the Middle East from surrogates from Iran, I would say, okay, that's interesting. But Anthony Blinken said something that blatantly is not true as of now. We don't answer yeah. back. It's not swift. It's not decisive. It's not anything. As of this point. And so, you know, we don't know what's happening behind the scenes. They may be targeting. They may be getting ready. But it's definitely not happened immediately after this. And it's not like we don't know who's doing it. These are Iran proxies. We know exactly where they're coming from. We know exactly where the missiles are coming from. And so and the rockets. And so I I, I agree with you. I don't fully understand it. And there is 
always been this kind of overhanging question about Iran policy and the Biden administration and obviously the fallout from the Obama administration. But why it factors in right now in this moment is really a, a big puzzle piece. Uh, and we'll see we'll see what happens today. So at 1230, the president has a press conference with the Australian leader. There will not be many Australian questions to from the American press. But what would be what do you think the president should cover? Oftentimes, the more exciting thing is things they have to walk back after he said it. This walking away, shouting questions, shouting back has been a real headache for this administration. It's not a way to talk about something as dangerous as the situation that we're in now. It's so tense. It's such a powder keg that you can't yell questions and say, ceasefire, no ceasefire. And he says, ceasefire, well, no, not ceasefire. I'm going to talk about it. And you're trying to interpret, you know, not even at the microphone. I mean, a leader at this moment needs to be clear. Now, you could take questions, not take questions, but there has to be on-mic comments that qualify for the world to hear the United States president weigh in on this issue. The thing is, and I always, I always swore I wasn't going to do this, but can you imagine if Trump did that? Just like shouted things out with a helicopter going, no, yes, hostages first, and the ceasefire will happen. They'd go, this guy doesn't know how to be president. He doesn't understand the the the, uh, the power of this position. He just yells things out in its policy, and his administration is so embarrassed they got to walk things back. Well, no, that, that's Joe Biden. And this administration from will you attack, will you defend Taiwan if China attacks? Yes. Administration says, no, we won't. Yes, we will. No, we won't. If that was the Trump administration and Pompeo was contradicting the president, they would have an aneurysm, a collective aneurysm. All the press's head would explode. It's true. And if Pompeo said there will be swift and swift and decisive action if we're attacked and we're attacked and there's not swift and decisive action, there would be a lot of stories yeah. about how Trump is weak. And so uh, – I agree with you. And we often have to look through the prism of what it would be like if another administration was in power. But, um, you know, so far he's getting the benefit of the doubt, largely from the media. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens today. All right. We'll find out. So at 12 o'clock, we're going to get a we're probably going to get a speaker. I'm being optimistic. 1230, we'll get that press conference. We know the the Trump trials taking place in New York City. Michael Cohen's back on the stand. A lot going on. Brett, what's been the response been uh, when you sit down and talk about the book to people? Like, for example, uh, I have very learned people when I come up and do these history books that I never knew that. Do you get a lot of people saying, I never knew that? Yes. And, you know, there are people that I really respect as far as history. Uh, I did a podcast with Dr. Ben Carson, who knows more about Washington and and that time than than a lot of people. And um, he said that to me, and I I commend that podcast. And then I sat down for an hour with Newt Gingrich. And you talk about somebody who knows history. Um, Newt Gingrich knows history. And so we had this great conversation back and forth. And there are nuggets here, and you know how that works, that really provide a lot of detail of that time. Uh, and sometimes you just don't 
don't get them other places. So as more and more people read the book, I think that there are more and more people who say, wow, not only did I read it really fast, it's not like a slog to get through a history book, just like yours. They're very readable, but it's um, it's something that you really come out of there and say, wow, I have a better perspective of kind of being in the room and feeling what it was like. It's so interesting is that they knew they were making history. They, Madison knew, I'm writing everything down. I'm writing down the objections. I'm writing down what, what the points of agreement. What what my what one would uh, ideas of mine would kick to the curb? Almost did they knew they were forming this great nation. I just want to give you a final thought on that. Yeah, it was a historic moment. There was a lot of dissent, a lot, but they knew they had to get it across the finish line. And the only way they could do that mm-hmm. is with the guidance and kind of somber overview of George Washington. And he is, is the link here, and uh, we kind of show that throughout the book. And is it true at the end Matt Gates decides Washington is not right for the job? <laughs> No, it isn't. The revolutionary Matt Gates is not around as of yet. I didn't know that. I got to correct that. I apologize. (laughs) Brett Bear, pick it up to rescue the Constitution. Brett, you're the best. Thank you. I will see you. Newsmakers and newsbreakers, hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're going to restore your trust in what we do here. You're going to see a new form of government, and we are going to move this quickly. This group here is ready to govern, and we're going to govern well. We're going to do what's right by the people. And I believe the people are going to reward that next year. But we have a lot of big priorities ahead of us right now. The world is on fire. We stand with our ally, Israel. Hey, but he's not going to stand with Ukraine, and that is Mike Johnson, who I really like, and he's got a great background, and primarily it's great because he started in radio. And then he went on. He's an evangelical Christian. I'm not sure how that pays, but it's certainly his beliefs. And then he uh, represented Trump in an impeachment trial. He thought Trump would really won the election. He went to bat for that, which will turn off a lot of Democrats. I get it, but it will not turn off Donald Trump, which is key. Donald Trump will be in court today. 
His uh, caravan is leaving Trump Tower and is heading down to court today. It's interesting. Out of all the stuff that he has gone to, if he didn't have to go, why is he going? He also went after Mark Meadows today. He went after Michael Cohen again. He went after Jenna Ellis. All these people took plea deals and might be testifying against him. Uh, We'll see how it goes. I personally look at what Catherine Herridge said on CBS, which is don't believe the ABC uh, uh, deal and what he agreed to. So maybe the president should keep his powder dry. Maybe Meadows not flipping. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I mean, this is beyond frustrating. There are no differences to any Republican in this room. I mean, they pale in comparison to progressives, certainly to the terrorists. So we need to get our act together, as we say in the Army, get our head out of our rear, and uh, move forward. We're the only entity in Washington that is going to push the Biden administration to do the right thing on Iran, uh, that, that stood uh, on the debacle that was Afghanistan, that is providing oversight. Uh, and that's what our voters expect us to do. Michael Waltz is so frustrated. Michael McCall, same thing. People just want to get things done. Mike Gallagher, a lot of mics. Uh, but it looks like we could have a speaker today. Rich Larry wrote about that. It's like we've given up on governing. It's just, hey, well, just do your own thing. Let's not do do the job, which do, which takes compromise. And I just saw a, a poll that most Republicans don't want their representative to compromise. Rich Lowry, editor of National Review, joins us now. Rich, I want to play that soundbite because it kind of reflects what your column said. It's frustrating, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. So this is totally unnecessary. It looks like it may be at an end here. We'll, we'll see. But they may have finally settled on the guy who uh, doesn't have a lot of friends but doesn't have enemies, which is kind of the, the, the key. The last part is the key factor here. No one hates Mike Johnson. No one thinks Mike Johnson's been knifing them when they've been trying to get the speakership. So maybe they finally settle on him, which is a, a good thing because my, my attitude all along has been just settle on someone. <laughs> you know, you don't have a lot of power as the Speaker of the House in these circumstances with a narrow majority and you don't have the Senate, you don't have the White House. Just put in someone, someone there so you can continue your business. And it may be that we're finally there after all this unnecessary drama. It, to me, it's a mix of being a ref and being a coach. You got to push people. This is where we should go. This is where we should go. And then you got to be a ref. You got to decide, hey, guys, I got some moderates over here. We'll never vote for, hey, conservatives, we're going to lose everything. If you don't come over a little bit, hey, moderates, we don't want to lose the majority. So it's almost as if you're, you're coaxing people and hurting them. I don't necessarily know what Mike McCarthy thinks. I really, I didn't know what John Boehner thinks. I know, you know, they're Republican conservatives. But I'm not saying the resulting legislation that necessarily reflected their values because you have to give and you have another body to go with. You've got a president that's got to sign off on it. I want you to hear what Mike Gallagher said because this also is right up your alley. Cut 33. My theory is uh, this is the product of decades of institutional neglect. So if you have people that feel no loyalty to an institution like Congress because it's weak, they've gone from being the most powerful branch of government to the weakest – and they're not going to abide by the rules of conference or the norms of congressional behavior. Do you agree? Yeah, I think that, that nails it uh, exactly. You have a lot of folks, it's all about their social media presence, it's all about their brand, it's all about their cable hits, rather than the institution and being formed by the institution and shaped by the institution and putting the institution 
above yourself. We just don't do that anymore um, anywhere in this country pretty much, and it's certainly been true of Congress, and it's been on display here. You know, not, not among everyone, but under um, for a crucial um, minority of Republicans, you know, have a lot of sway because the majority is so slender. It's, it's empowered them, and that, that's you know, they, they set it off, and then, then we had this sort of the tribal warfare, you know, where the, the McCarthy people don't like to trust the Scalise people, so they're going to knife the Scalise people, and the Scalise people are mad that Jordan's next in line after he didn't get it, and then the Jordan people can't buy the Emmer people. And again, finally, you know, Mike Johnson may just be outside of that kind of circle of conflict, which may be the reason he, he gets it. Right. Uh, just, just so you know, uh, in terms of the actual numbers, the numbers are there was uh, 19 or 20 that missed the vote yesterday. Yeah. Three voted present. But the way they were acting is if they already got him across the line. They're not going to be happy that Mike Johnson was against the election, was looking to overturn the election. They're not going to be happy that he was one of Donald Trump's lawyers during impeachment. But Trump will be. And he yeah. thinks he's got an ally. Really smart guy. Uh, with her. He's smart enough to get into radio, which he was once a radio host. <laughs> so we'll see where we go and see if we can get something done. I do think, Rich, tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, Brett kind of agrees with me, or he was just intimidated. I do think by next year, this will not be that big of a story. When I you're agree. voting for people in purple districts, you'll be like, well, I don't want that speaker chaos. I don't think it'll be, especially if you just see what's been happening while this was happening. Yeah, most people, this has made zero impression on them. It's loomed really large for us. You know, we follow the news really really closely. Most people are concerned with their ordinary lives. And the election next year, it's going to be what it always is. You know, it's going to be uh, economy. It's going to be foreign affairs. It's going to be the border. And if Trump's a nominee, Democrats obviously also will make, you know, the threat to democracy in January 6th, throw that in there. But this this will be um, a blip even if that. All right, so let's talk about the war in Israel. Uh, they're, they're holding off, it seems, on the on the ground incursion for hostages. It looks like they're not calling it a ceasefire but a pause. Is that the right move? I don't know, Brian. This is one of the things – I hate it when people say this sometimes because it's, it's punting, you know, but I just don't know enough. I, I feel, you know, if you could get 100 hostages out by waiting another two weeks after already waiting two weeks, would you do it? I might, you know, it just it just depends what's going on in the northern front, what's going on with deterring Iran, how secure they feel that if they get sucked into Gaza or go into Gaza, that that northern front won't open up. These are all questions that's really hard to know from the outside. I just hope and expect that you know Israel's intention is still to do everything they can to destroy Hamas, and what we're talking about is the details and the scheduling uh, of that. Um, so it's it's, it's I got I got to punt a little bit. I'm just not sure. Right. I mean, how do I sit there? If I if I'm a family member, I'd want to wait for hostages to get out. But I also know too they could be making this more yep. more uh, IDF personnel can die yep. because they're yep. able to fortify yep. certain tunnels, put together certain booby traps, or and some surprises. And it also bothers me that this was written down: take hostages to bargain out to get our people back. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. And, this you know, was the script, working, right? This is why they took the hostages in the first place. So that's really um, frustrating. So that the problem, that, you know, I, I want I want Israel to do everything they can to destroy Hamas. The, the worry I have is, you know, the leadership of Hamas is not sitting in Gaza City, right? They're somewhere in Qatar in a nice hotel. So you can do a months long, grinding, painful 
campaign, costly and, and blood and treasure, and they're still in that hotel. And you say, okay, we've destroyed Hamas. They're going to never rule Gaza again. And even if you can make that stick, it's just the next thing. Whatever rule entity rules Gaza will be as hostile to Israel as Hamas is and just be operating under another name. So, so that's all to say I just think this is an enduring problem. It's not – there's no ready answer to it. But Israel needs to needs to respond strongly, just for its own security, and then for its own, uh, just just to serve its own purpose. You know, the, the Israel was was founded so Jews could go someplace and not suffer the sort of pogroms they did in uh, Central and Eastern Europe. And here they go. You have have a pogrom in Israel. That that really strikes at the very heart of the 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 purpose, the meaning of Israel, and that's why there's been one of the reasons mm-hmm. there's been such a strong reaction in Israel, besides just the, the um, barbaric nature of the attack, and why they just can't, you know, they, they might wait a while, but they're not going to wait forever, and they shouldn't. The security was such an epic fail, and the horrific carnage was so beyond comprehension. Mm-hmm. I, I, Israel must be shaken to the core that they were even that vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Now yep. we find out some of the things they were doing, training just over the border, not being picked up. Uh, they were not looking because they were focused more on the West Bank. That could have been it. Also, hard lines. They were not using cell phones. They were using hard lines, 1970s phones. Mm-hmm. So they weren't able to tap into it unless they were doing it the old-fashioned way. You actually put a bug in the phone. But the Israel wasn't quite aware of that mm-hmm. when they plotted and planned and they rehearsed. So now what's getting under my skin is the lack of response, knowing that we're getting hit so often in Iraq and in Syria and our but uh, our bases, two dozen American service members injured in attacks in Iraq over in Syria. We have not answered yet. We had 24 U.S. members who were injured by the attacks. Most are okay back on duty. They didn't tell us that. They said one guy had a heart attack in Syria because of the surprise nature of it. But now we find out it's much more serious and much more consistent. And these are Iranian-backed yeah. proxies. So yeah. how long can we not hit back? Yeah, I mean this is this is the uh, source of the problem. You finally had Biden in that Oval Office address, at least mentioning Iran. <clears throat> Otherwise, it hasn't figured at all. When it's really the the root and the source of of the problem. And this is, you know, when when Trump says, "Oh, you know, they didn't do this on my watch," he's right. And one reason was he he took out Soleimani, right? There was that attack. I don't know whether it was on the air base. They showed him the video. He's pissed off. They gave him the options. They put that one on there just to have, you know, an extreme option to make other stuff look more reasonable. And he's like, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> and that's a, a huge signal to the Iranian regime and others who would kill Americans. And we've lost that deterrent power. And I, I think you need to find some way to, to hurt Iran and make them pay for this. The other thing, Rich, is I believe he's got way too much influence with the Israeli government who knows that we're reloading the Iron Dome and providing a lot of armaments. So they're not really going to thumb their nose at us. I do not want the president of the United States in my war council meeting. I also don't want Mm -hmm. them to give me a three-star general to look over my shoulder, Mm -hmm. uh, Marine general. I think that is totally wrong. They understand this region. They know how to fight. They had an intelligence failure. No question. Help them seal that up. Support them. Don't take over. Derek Van Orden, the Navy SEAL, now congressman, is in Tel Aviv, said this yesterday, cut six. The Biden administration's blatant incompetence has got us where we're at. And unfortunately, Secretary Blinken may have have no short-term memory because over 30 Americans have already been killed in Israel. At least 20 Americans are being held hostage by Iran's proxies right now. So I don't have a tremendous amount of confidence in the Biden administration to be able to handle this, uh, this incredible crisis as it's unfolding. 
So he knows it from the American standpoint. He's been briefed. Then he goes over to Tel Aviv, talks to them. They also know he's got this military background. And he be, he'll say it. You know, he liked mm-hmm. the Biden speech a couple of, you know, uh, last week. But he's blown away by what he thinks is incompetence. Mm-hmm. Do you get that from your sources? Well, I mean, there's certainly weakness, right? I mean, the, clearly the pullout from Afghanistan, which is weak and, and incompetent, has been the predicate for a lot of what we've seen. Uh, and this was, you know, there hasn't been much focus on this. Obviously, this was a huge intelligence failure on our part as well, right? Yeah. We're supposed to have the best intelligence service in, in, in the world. We're paying a lot of attention to this. We didn't pick it up either. Um, and that's on us. So there'll, there'll be a lot of uh, after action in Israel about how, the, how they missed it. But we also, also should be thinking about um, how we missed it as well. And then there's, you know, I don't know whether it's necessarily, it's not competence so much as just an unwillingness to grasp the nettle and make the, the intellectual concession that, yes, Iran is behind this, which leads you to, okay, well, what are you going to do to Iran? Are you just going to take it and talk to Israel about how they're taking on one of the proxies, Hamas, or are you going to take the problem on at its root? At the very least, you pulverize the whole militia, destroy mm-hmm. the whole militia. And there's and as Lindsey Graham may have been a little bit too aggressive, but Reagan uh, targeted these uh, these uh, overseas oil wells. Mm-hmm. You know, so listen, you bl- they're in the ocean. You blow them up. Just go. We know exactly where you are. We know exactly what you're up to. You better not. Yeah. So Iran, you know, has cards to play. Most importantly, Hezbollah and all those rockets. But ultimately. In a war with the United States, right, <laughs> they get pulverized. They they get destroyed, and they know that. So if you if you do something to illustrate to them, you're willing to hit them, and there's more to come mm-hmm. if they're not at least a little more cautious. That's a really important message. Trump sent it with the Soleimani hit, and this administration hasn't sent it, and there's probably no hope of it sending it. Leslie, uh, Rich, you've seen a lot of things, but I've never seen organized protests for an enemy, which are the— Hamas uh, terrorists and Palestinians in many respects, and yet there's going to be another massive demonstration for them. Today in New York City, there's going to be walkouts at Hunter College, Cooney Graduate Center, New York University, uh, Columbia, uh, City College. You get the idea, all walking out to support the Palestinian cause. Do you believe yeah, this? What, how, how does this happen? Well, it was a 20-year effort by Islamists and anti-Zionists on college campuses in schools, and we've seen the the poisonous fruit of it. I mean, it, it unfortunately, it worked where you have a lot of young people who are just incapable of rational thought on this issue, who have absorbed all these hateful shibboleths. So you have the same people on college campuses. You know, there's a safe space for you if Charlie Kirk or Ann Coulter shows up at your campus where the whole thing is about avoiding microaggressions and honoring diversity and and being sensitive, chanting genocidal sentiments about Israel. And no one seems to – it doesn't occur to anyone that's that is a, a stark contradiction because all that woke stuff it wasn't it wasn't neutral right it wasn't really meant to apply to everyone it was meant to be a way to attack and silence one side and that that's why none of the none of the woke sensitivities apply to people uh, chanting for Israel for the Jewish state to be destroyed and wiped from the earth I, I just don't understand it I'm embarrassed by it I'm unnerved by it and it's got to stop Rich Lowry thanks so much editor hey, of National Review appreciate it talk soon. All right, when we come back, I'll take your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Also, you can write me on com. Just click on comments. Brand new site. Hope you like it. 
politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think we're going to have to do something to Iran. There's a variety of actions that we can take. Uh, certainly, all, first of all, of course, we're increasing the force protection very substantially, rushing additional air and uh, ballistic missile defenses and so forth out there. But I think at some point, if this continues, what we're seeing being done by the Iranian-supported Shia militia in Iraq, that there will have to be a response to Iran, not, not to those uh, militias. I know uh, David Petraeus is reluctant to criticize this administration. I'm not sure why. He wants to be apolitical and doesn't want to be identified with the party. That could be it. But if he says we're going to have to, but in two weeks when they don't, will you criticize? You have to criticize. General Jack Keane came back and his voice was almost cracking yesterday because he could not believe how many unanswered attacks have taken place on our guys. When you sign up in the military, you know, we give $900 billion a year to the military. You have to make us proud. You're not going to be perfect, but you can make us proud. And you have the right to stick up for yourself. But now we have an administration that's allowed their people to get shelled in their bases in hot spots, to say the least, Syria and Iraq. And they can't answer back and do a preemptive strike. That's not fair to the families. And by the way, just to paraphrase the statement that just came across, even though Qatar is the place where the foreign minister of Iran went and met the leader of Hamas on Saturday, even though right now Hamas uh, headquarters in Qatar, they have just gotten saluted and praised from Israel by saying that they're key brokers in getting the hostages out. Wow. I don't know if you could play both ends of it, but Israel knows the neighborhood. They felt secure enough to do that. Uh, So here's the deal. Uh, We got to get the hostages out. But at the same time, the public policy, the world opinion is changing because the devastation on Qatar, excuse me, on Gaza is so great right now. Now people are saying, oh, these kids are dying. Why are they doing this? It's disproportionate. They don't understand that Hamas is solely responsible. It was their hits and hiding behind civilians, building facilities in the basements of hospitals and in mosques that got us here. And in turn... Iran has taken our warnings. They fully support all the enemies of, of Israel, has taken shots at us, almost daring us to hit back. And all we're worried about is a wider war. How does that sound familiar? OK, how about Ukraine? You guys are you going to be out in three days. I gave you some weapons and some training. You're going to lose. Oh, you're not going to lose. Zelensky does want to fight. He doesn't want to ride out of the country. OK, we'll get you some tanks. OK, fine. 31 in September. All right, you're not going to get Patriots. Oh, we'll, we'll give you Patriots. You're not going to get High Mars. We're going to give you High Mars. We don't want to make this a wider war. We don't want to instigate Russia. They got nukes. All the things he said he want to get to escalate the war, we end up giving it to him. Now we give him attack And now we got to give him permission to hit weapons depots in Ukraine in there. But we don't want to make a wider war. That's Joe Biden. We don't want to make a wider war. People are dying as you try to not make it a wider war on our side. Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. I'm at 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. We got protests happening. A lot going on uh, this morning. I mean, you got the Trump trial just got underway. The president, former president, just spoke. Michael Cohen will be in there. That'll be dramatic. 
You have the ongoing situation in Israel where we could be looking at a pause for hostages. That'll be dramatic. The U.N. over there where the general secretary is making statements equating the Palestinian situation with the carnage uh, that happened to the Israeli people. And now you're going to have a massive protest at local colleges from Hunter to NYU to Columbia to City College. Uh, I pretty much said about six or seven local colleges. They're all going to mar- and new school. They're going to march in support of the Palestinian movement. So there'll be Hamas flags there. Great. You're going to march in for a movement about people that just came and massacred 1,400, 1,400 civilians, 299 Israeli military caught by surprise. Sadly, you that, those are the people you're going to salute today. What has happened to this country? Uh, before we get to Michael Rubin and then a little bit by, uh, by the bottom of the hour, Emily Austin, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Democracy is messy sometimes, but it is our system. This conference that you see, this House Republican majority is united. Is Michael Johnson, could you be the next Speaker of the House? I've always said fourth may be a four times is the charm. Kevin McCarthy undeservedly ousted. Emmer, Jordan, Scalise fail. It looks like Johnson's got the votes. We'll find out at noon. Number two. But I think at some point, if this continues, what we're seeing being done by the Iranian-supported Shia militia in Iraq that there will have to be a response to Iran, not not to those uh, militias. You would think Iran surrogates attacks on U.S. forces in greater number and in greater casualties than we were told. Shockingly, we do not hit back. Why does this president not understand that weakness only brings in more attacks? Number one. The urban warfare situation they're going to find themselves in is going to be very violent and very bloody. But the longer that you delay, it just allows your adversary to continue to to prepare and to dig in. And Israel runs the risk of losing its political support if it lets this go for too long. Israel at war, but could they be open to a pause for hostages while it's great for innocent captives? How does it play on the world stage? And what about Hamas and their blood-soaked hands? Will they get away with it? Meanwhile, calls for a U.N. secretary to resign as he tries to justify the Hamas attacks. Uh, and that's who will begin with Michael Rubin, senior fellow with the American Enterprise Institute, where he specializes in Iran, Turkey, and the broader Middle East. Michael, welcome back. Would you support a pause right now? I would not support a pause. Every time we've seen a pause, for example, in 1996 with the Israel-Hezbollah war and then with the Hezbollah war 10 years later, it wasn't used for humanitarian gain. It was used to rearm. And the last thing you want to do is give these terrorists time to construct their booby traps or to rearm the, the way that they openly say they want to. I'm with you, but they do say that we've killed, uh, Israel has killed 22 hostages by their bombing. I don't believe anything Hamas says, but is there a risk of hostages just dying because uh, Israel waits uh, doesn't wait? Unfortunately, Brian, there is a risk that hostages will be killed in this. The question that we need to ask, however, is whether the lives of 4 million Israelis um, are offset by the lives of the 200 or so hostages. The United States, Israel, and others who have citizens who are held captive by Hamas will do everything possible to identify their locations and to rescue them. But we, we have to look at the fact that this is open war at this point. 
and that the the key prerogative needs to be to eliminate Hamas completely. Uh, so right now, how would you rate from what you know and from the people you know uh, the aerial campaign so far? Uh, what we've seen with the bombings, about 400 a day. Uh, from what I understand, the aerial bombardment is serving its purpose. That said, we also know from the released hostages that there's a, quote, spider web, unquote, of tunnels underneath Gaza. They escaped Israel's intelligence. It's important that those be taken in. There's got to be a a ground campaign as well. So how long do you think it'll take? What are they telling you? Um, It could happen any moment. The problem right now is the United States is trying not to deter Iran, but to deter Israel. Frankly, that's also why I think that the United States has sent two carrier strike groups to the region. It has nothing to do with aiding Israel. It has everything to do with preventing Israel from launching a, a surprise attack against the so-called head of the snake, which is located inside the Islamic Republic of so, Iran. So get this statement from an Israeli official, uh, Chazik Hangabi. I'm sure I, d- I didn't say his name great, uh, but here's, here's what he said. I'm pleased to say that Qatar is becoming an essential party and stakeholder in the facilitation of humanitarian solutions. Really? The Qatar who houses the head, uh, the heads of Hamas is getting saluted? Qatar has perfected the art of being the arsonist who gets paid for, for uh, joining the volunteer firefighting brigade after the fact. We've got to break this dynamic. The fact that the United States has an air base in Qatar shouldn't mean that this, it has a get-out-of-jail-free card. Unfortunately, both the Israelis to some extent and the Americans most mm-hmm. certainly have confused the forest for the trees. They don't understand that the key prerogative needs to be to uproot terrorism, not to maintain channels with it. I wanted you to hear this statement or our audience hear this statement from the U.N. Secretary General, Antonio Gutierrez, on this uh, after this, me- in this meeting was laid out yesterday. Hey, let's blame Israel for this. Cut eight. It is important to also recognize the attacks by Hamas did not happen in a vacuum. The Palestinian people have been subjected to 56 years of suffocating occupation. They have seen their land steadily devoured by settlements and plagued by violence. Their economy stifled, their people displaced, and their homes demolished. Their hopes for a political solution to their plight have been vanishing. But the grievances of the Palestinian people cannot justify the appalling attacks by Hamas. So he's out there saying, well, what do you want? Uh, what do you want these people to do? They've been denied a homeland for 56 years. What's your reaction to that? Well, he most certainly should resign. What he has vocalized is the art of blaming the victim. It's sort of blaming the wife for being beaten in an abusive relationship. He also simply doesn't understand international law. The, the Gaza has not been occupied since 2005. Hamas staged a coup in 2007 to take over control. The U.N. continued to work with them and to fund them. He also simply doesn't understand international law in another way. The laws of war do not apply equally. You have to abide by certain principles, for example, wearing uniforms, not hiding behind civilians, and so forth. If you violate those, you don't get the Geneva Conventions applied to you. And if you have a U.N. bureaucrat, like Guterres, a former Portuguese socialist, saying that they should be applied universally, what you're actually doing is incentivizing terrorists to run around in civilian clothes, to hide in schools and hospitals and ambulances. It's, an, it's a formula for chaos. 
he really needs to learn that his job is to administer the United Nations, not to be some sort of spokesman with any moral authority. Yeah, I want you to hear what Eli Cohen said, the Israel's foreign foreign uh, minister for foreign affairs. Cut ten. As we meet here today, young babies, children are held in Gaza. They are victims of evil. These kids witness horror which cannot be described by word. Mr. Secretary General, in what world do you live? <laughs> Definitely, this is not our world. I, I, are they just used to this type of abuse at the U.N. at this point? I, I think they are. The United Nations has, uh, I mean, completely lost its founding principles. Remember, the United Nations Refugee Works Association, which was meant to provide um, assistance to the Palestinians, was meant to fold up shop in 1951 by its own bylaws and reports. It's basically become a means to continue the conflict. If you took the same definition of refugee that the United Nations applies exclusively to Palestinians and applied it to the partition of India in 1947, we'd have more than 300 million refugees in South Asia. And yet we don't because people understand you can't make these you, you can't keep these infections open. At the same time, what really surprises me and what the U.N. doesn't realize and what makes Hamas in many ways even more worse in certain ways than even the Nazi Germans is the Nazis tried to hide their atrocities. They tried to keep what they were doing at the concentration camps and to do secret. We see that Hamas is doing quite the opposite and is trying to broadcast it to the world. That just shows you how morally askew not only Hamas mm. and U.S. university campuses, but the United Nations have become. So we have now found out there's been t- attacks on our bases in uh, Iraq and Syria and our ships uh, off the coast of Yemen. And here's what John Kirby says uh, we should do. Uh, cut 14. We remain deeply concerned by the potential for future attacks on our, our troops. As you're right, we've seen, and I'm, I'm guesstimating here, but it's about a dozen over the last several days, um, and as a result, tragically, one uh, U.S. contractor died as a result of a heart attack from sheltering. Uh, so it's uh, potentially a dangerous environment, and we're taking it very, very seriously. Right. Uh, dangerous. They will act at a time of our choosing. When are they going to choose? There's been 90 unanswered attacks in the region. How important, Michael Rubin, is it to answer? Weakness is contagious. You can't have a situation where you're putting terrorist groups and militias on double secret probation. I, I mean, to go back to, quote, Animal House. The fact of the matter is, Osama bin Laden, to whom a lot of these terrorist groups pay allegiance, said that when you have a strong horse and you have a weak horse, it's natural to associate yourself with the strong horse. The Biden administration is showing itself to be a hobbled pony. Well said. Michael Rubin, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. All right. Uh, Michael Rubin, senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. It is maddening what's happening. And right now he is not for the pause. Uh, I am not either. I understand I don't have a relative down there, but I also think there's a chance if you go in, there's a better chance of getting them out than if you just wait out and wait for the guitarists to come in and decide who, who should come and who should stay. All right. When we come back, I'll take your calls. one 408 And then we'll have Emily Austin in to talk about it from the millennial perspective. What is it like to be Jewish right now in New York when so many are actually targeting them instead of supporting them? Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. There is a very clear anti-Israel bias at the United Nations. This is nothing new. This crazy double standard. What the U.N. Secretary General said, that this Hamas attack, the massacre of October 7th, didn't come in a vacuum? That is mind-boggling. Can you imagine the U.N. Secretary General saying such a terrible sentence after the 9-11 attack, that the 9-11 attack didn't come in a vacuum? This is insane. This is insanity. The civilized world must stand with Israel in its war against terrorism. The message that a U.N. Secretary General must send out is that terrorism is a dead end. Tal Heinrich weighed in. She's a spokesperson for Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel. And at moments ago, the Secretary General of the United Nations tried to clean up his comments. And if you listen 10 minutes ago, I played them, but essentially says it doesn't happen in a vacuum. Those attacks don't happen in a vacuum. When you deny someone homeland and suffocating sanctions, that's what happens. Well, no one's suffocating you in Gaza. You had a wet, the portions of the West Bank were all yours. And basically, you chose to buy terror, uh, buy into a terror group instead of trying to pave your roads and sell your beaches. Make it a tourist attraction right on the beautiful Mediterranean Sea and make it a place in which aid flew. Instead, we put millions of dollars into there through aid groups, write checks to the Palestinian Authority. Where's that money going? You know, the story is that they came out and they put a sewer system together through these pipes. And then they realized that just as they had a sewer system, it was all done. In comes Hamas. They dig it up and use the pipes for rocket propelled grenades. Unbelievable. So this is what they chose to do. But I guess it's Israel's fault that they did that. Nikki Haley, for her, a presidential candidate, obviously getting set to debate in two weeks. She said this, cut 11. You know, this is the U.N. doing what the U.N. always does. And keep in mind, the rest of the world's going to do this, too. I have strongly said to Israel that they need to finish them, meaning Hamas. Mm -hmm. But I also said to the world, and we need to remember this, is that we all support Israel because they were hit. Mm -hmm. But we have to remember, we also have to support them when they hit back. Mm -hmm. And you're going to see when Israel starts to make moves, everybody's going to condemn them. Uh, And they will, and they've already had it. Uh, But now when they make big-time moves, it's going to get even worse. Look, I know there are children in there. What choice do they have? Their parents are staying there. I also see a lot of quotes from these uh, Palestinians who say, yeah, I'm not moving. I live in the north. I'm staying in the north. They're not going to tell me what to do. Okay, good. Because Hamas is also there, and their leadership is there, responsible for the death of 1,400, if not more. And they're still trying to kill Israelis. As you see, they try to do it through the ocean, and they're still sending daily rockets uh, arbitrarily into cities. So it's going to be rough. That's what happens in the middle of a war that you start, that the people who represent you start. Every civilian that dies is Hamas's, is on Hamas's head, which they don't care about. Do you know, they, they found an intercept, and they played it the other day for uh, disbelieving media, where they found Hamas, an intercept of a Hamas fighter, uh, saying that how proud they were as they called home to say, Mom, I killed uh, Jews. Your father's going to be so proud. Really? So this is the intercept. This is the mindset. It's not like, well, you know, when, when you find out there's a murderer in your family, you basically disown them and try to work with cops to apprehend them, usually. But not in this situation. And that's what the neighborhood Israel lives in. Uh, that's why I find it so hard to believe the people are trying to equate what Israel's doing to what the pa- Palestinians are experiencing. 
So the Israeli ambassador to the U.N. got up and said this after the general secretary's comments. Cut nine. The U.N. is failing. And you, Mr. Secretary General, have lost all morality and impartiality. When you say those terrible words that these heinous attacks did not happen in a vacuum, you are tolerating terrorism. I think that the Secretary General must resign. Yeah, uh, and, but he's not. And because most people agree with him. But we didn't ask for him to resign. That also doesn't help. But uh, we'll see because you have Russia who's indifferent, China that used to be indifferent, but now is calling for a ceasefire. Anybody, by the way, who calls for a ceasefire, that's anti-Israel. Because you don't get to take this type of loss, have justified reaction, and before the reaction can really start, call for a ceasefire and act like you're the person of peace. No, you're inviting the next attack, at which time you'll quickly call for a ceasefire. When we come back, we'll talk about that from uh, the American perspective, because today, in about 90 minutes, this city's going to be flooded at NYU, at Columbia University, at Hunter. And I'm maybe in a city near you where you're at. I happen to be located here in New York City with pro-Palestinian protests. They're staging a huge walkout. Can you imagine paying $85,000 or in the case of NYU, if you live there, $92,000 a year? I'm going to miss school today to go march for terrorists. Yes, I want more babies killed. I'd like to see more women raped. I'd like to see more hostages of 85-year-olds, 85-year-olds kept in tunnels to wither and die. That's the, those are the causes I want to fight for. What has happened? This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm I'm honestly scared to share that on campus, and that's really, really upsetting because especially at a school like NYU where they talk about inclusion, they talk about sharing your identity, but that stops at Jewish and that stops at Israeli. Uh, that was, uh, what was that from, Eric? Uh, that was a Jewish student from NYU. Today's going to be a massive protest, I understand, at Washington Square Park. Uh, we'll see what happens. We probably have some crews down there at Clover Columbia. Same thing at the new school. All for the Palestinian cause. Emily Austin doesn't understand it, as nor do I. She's a host of uh, Hoop Chat, big-time sports reporter, but also a member of the advisory board for, uh, is it Case Pack? Case Pack, yeah. So how would you describe Case Pack, Emily? It's combat anti-Semitism, but supporting pol- uh, politicians who support Israel and support, of course, condemning anti-Semitism. Right. And you find yourself a minority in New York City these days where you thought you were maybe a majority? Yeah. You know what it is? It's like I'm not the Jew that rubs it in your face, shoving it down your throat, posting about it. Like I'm just living the best version of myself. And just doing that seems to be pissing everyone off nowadays. What do you think about that statement you just heard from NYU? I feel so bad for her. Why? I really do because it's like debts cause outrage, as it should. But it's like it's an exception when it comes to Israel and the Jewish people. And I don't know why that is. Is it because they think we're like never allowed to be the victims? We're never allowed to be oppressed? And nobody by any means should live in that victim mentality. But if people are getting massacred on October 7th, why has it been so hard for people to just come out and say it was wrong? Instead of causing protests, Israel hasn't even retaliated yet. 
Imagine what's going to happen when they decide to do an invasion and get our 200 hostages back. This is pre-retaliation, and this is the result. See, I think what's underappreciated is people think the hostages are going to die if you go in. Maybe this is the best chance to save them. Yeah. I think the reason that they're delaying the invasion is because they want the hostages back safely. But I don't know. I don't know how long this is going to go on for. So you are a Gen Z. Gen Z. Okay. Most of those Gen Zers are going to be protesting in New York City for Palestinians slash Hamas today. I'm stunned by that. Yeah. Uh, it's as if they were protesting for Al-Qaeda. Yeah, literally. That's how I view it. So I want to I want to differentiate something. I told this yesterday to a guest on Pierce Morgan. If If Palestinians were smart... Divorce yourself from Hamas because Hamas is a terrorist organization declared by the United States as of 2006. So anyone defending Hamas in my book is an accomplice to murder. That's just my opinion. And now it's one thing if you want to free the Palestinian movement. I'm pro-Palestine too. I believe the Palestinians should be freed from their uh, terrorist organization Hamas as their government. Free Palestine, but don't forget to add to add the words from Hamas when you're chanting that. So I will protest with you, but I'm going to add those extra two words. But don't you think a two-state solution is now dead? Now I think it's off the table. Listen, that's how Israel began. It began with the United Nations partition plan in 1948. We had the two-state solution, and the Arab League declared war on it. So, you know, this— this. And the Palestinians said, don't bother. I'm not taking it. No, they said, we'll never, just kill all of you and yeah. take the land. Literally, that's what happened. It, it sounds almost comedic, but that's the reality of it. And the narrative that this is about land is— Yes, because this goes back already to 1929 in Hebron. They massacred 57 Jews. There was no Israel at the time. Okay, National Jihad Day last Friday. I'm in Manhattan scared for my life. What does me being in New York have to do with the Israeli conflict? Why am I afraid for my life? Why are jihads attacking last Friday outside of Israel? The the land is a convenient excuse to justify murder. Right, and what we're seeing right now is possibly a pause. Would you be for a pause? Like a ceasefire? No, a pause to get some hostages out. I mean, is that considered a pause? They're still going to invade. There's still going to be many casualties. I'm sure they're not going to be like, hey, take them. Like, you know what's been pissing me off I wanted to talk about? They released two hostages, and one of the women who they released is an elderly woman, and she's like, they gave us tea. They treated us nicely. They only beat us with sticks. And they're like, wow, guys, see, they're freedom fighters. They're not murderers, ignoring the entire they massacre. They with sticks. No, no, but that's not even the worst part. Her husband's still being held captive. Mm-hmm. Imagine what they'll do to him if she actually exposed the realities of what they did. And the world is applauding 85 Kamas. years old. Yeah. And the world's applauding Kamas for letting her go. Right. How'd uh, she get there? I want you to hear what Lee Zeldin said last night. Cut 23. It's been building for a while on these college campuses. Students for Justice of Palestine were funding these efforts that might appear organic, but they weren't. They've infiltrated administration, faculty, student body. You bust your butt during school to get the grades and the extracurriculars to get accepted into Harvard University. Mm-hmm. And you pay all of that money to have you know, Bill de Blasio and Lori Lightfoot teaching you in class. Yeah. Uh, maybe you should save your money and and pursue some of these other places of higher education where there's a core moral compass mm-hmm. that guides the university, that guides the curriculum, that guides the faculty. And Lee, and Lee's other one on to say, you know, he is Jewish. He said, I never, he said, in his entire life, including through the military, he never experienced anti-Semitism. And he's astounded as a sitting, was a former sitting member of Congress and seven points from being the next governor, what he's witnessing. But you are, are you, I would not say you're the one of the few that is not astounded by it because I guess you saw it. I saw this among coming. your peers. 
Yeah. I mean, listen, my first experience of anti-Semitism, I grew up in a little bubble on Long Island, and I was always, like, surrounded by Hewlett Harbor. So it's, like, mostly Russian Jews. I'm not a Russian Jew, but I'm still Jewish. And I went to public school, and everyone was cool. Like, you know, it's Long Island. It's a bubble. I decided to run for Miss New York when I'm 17 or Miss T New York, and I lost. And the person comes up to me like a fan, and he's like, you lost because you look like a damn Jew, and I'm wearing my Star of David. Now, first of all, what does a Jew look like, according to you? I don't have horns. Like, what 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 does that mean? Was it the first time you heard anything like that? Ever. I started laughing because I I don't know. I didn't think someone would actually say something anti-Semitic. And I was like, yeah, right. Like, you're right. Because I didn't actually think it was an attack towards me. And he goes, and she looks like a Nazi Aryan. And then I was like, whoa, okay, now that's a Nazi reference. That's not cool. And my dad was like, I'm surprised he didn't knock him out. But I didn't even know what anti-Semitism was. I, I never experienced it. And from that day on, as I got more into the public eye, especially when I started sports, I understood that the, con- the, the misconception of what, first and foremost, a Jew is, then what an Israeli is, they look at us like we're this different species, like it's us versus them. So, yeah, I mean, I saw it coming because, like I said, I, I know this isn't about land. This is a battle to exterminate the Jews, and they like to call genocide, not even knowing what genocide means. They are, they want a genocide of the Jewish people. It's in the Hamas charter, and you've seen this week people support Hamas. So they are literally saying, right. we support killing the Jews. What about social media? Do you think that plays into it? Do you think oh, it makes time. it easier to have these extreme views and yeah. also maybe be brainwashed? A hundred percent. And people this week I've been arguing with people on our team, if you'd call it Zionists, about – they're saying, why are you wasting your time on social media? You're not making a difference. Run for office. Do something. And I'm like, I'm 22. I can't, but I will. And you will. that's where they're wrong. I'd you like will. to. Yeah. Uh, I think we need rational-minded people in office and not – like the fact that Elon Omar is in Congress, anyone could do it. I'm sorry. My, my younger sister could go do it. She's 15. She'll do a better job. Right. Well, that's not the point. The question is, would she marry your brother in no. order to come here? No, she wouldn't. Uh, that's the problem because uh, she did. Uh, Emily, it seems. Uh, Emily Austin's here. Uh, giving us an idea of what it's like right now in New York City where they were just texting me today saying, would you be uh, available at all to go to any of these colleges? Unfortunately, I'm not because this thing is going to get a little bit out of control. Do you project violence today? Because a lot of people are like you, pretty angry that these Palestinian protests are going to take place. I feel bad for the police. I feel bad. They're about 4,000 cops down in New York City, and they're going to have to. And I'm sure people listening around the country are saying, well, it's going to happen in my city, too. So I'm I'm not saying it's only in New York. They're going to have to be they're going to have to be the the human barriers. Yeah, I feel very bad for the cops this week. And I'm so thankful because they really are trying their best to keep everyone safe. Unfortunately, every time we've seen a Palestinian resistance movement, especially in cities like Manhattan, it's very likely that there is a Jew being beaten nearly to death. And that's just that's just the reality of it. And on college campuses, we spoke about this on Gutfeld. There are no consequences for actions anymore. So they will do something vile and they will most likely get away with it. So, of course, why not? If there's no consequences, they'll get violent and they are calling for the violence. They're not even trying to mask it at all. They are saying kill the Zionists, gas the Jews. These are things that are coming out of their mouth. So we can definitely expect violence. But here's what I'm heartened by. I mean, I was talking to Ambassador Friedman today, former U.S. ambassador to Israel under Trump. And he said, I went to Colombia and uh, I couldn't be more embarrassed. And then, you know, they called up a fundraiser this weekend or it was maybe even tonight uh, or tomorrow night. There was a fundraiser to raise money for the, you know, all the, the rich and powerful come to New York City and they called it off. They're postponing the fundraiser as divisions over the war deepen. 
You have Columbia said it should be it should we should be having space for moral intellectual conversations about the Israel Hamas war. But as the conversation hardened, the choice may affect its finances. Columbia's Giving Day, an annual event in which alumni and donors around the world are asked to donate, was scheduled for today. It was called off now with no new date because people are withdrawing their money. Last year, the event raised thirty million in twenty-four hours. So that pullback is going to be felt. I hope it does. I hope that Colombia loses actually all of their financing because Colombia, I don't know about when Ambassador Friedman was there, but Colombia has been a safe haven for anti-Semitism. And there's this uh, silly thing called the BDS movement, which is the boycott, divest and sanction movement. I call it the big distraction strategy movement, which is another excuse for mostly the Palestinians, but a lot of Americans, too, to call for the violence against Israelis. What's interesting is I, I had a, was in contact with an associate professor at Columbia. You might have seen him online where he got up and stood up and said, this is insane. He's Jewish. And mm-hmm. he says, "How? where did this anti-Semitism come from? Someone's got to speak up. Where is the Columbia president speaking up? And he got blitzed. He got support, but he got blitzed. And then he didn't want to come on. And he was going to come on the show and talk about it. But he did send me a voicemail saying, I appreciate the support. I'm not backing down. And I don't think they can fire him because I think he's got tenure, right. even though he looks kind of young. But he says this is not subsiding. He should make a comment because, <laughs> A, it's cowardly if you don't. And then, B, it's hypocritical. You're just a hypocrite because everyone's all about diversity and inclusion, but not when it comes to the Jewish people. It's just so silly. But what about a culture that we're in right now that wants to fight for trans rights, that wants to fight for gay rights, uh, let alone women's rights? How did they do in this Islamic extremist society? How tolerant are they? Did you see Queers for Palestine? No. Can, yeah, so there's a group called Queers for Palestine. Like, why has not one human being told them, hey, do you know you'd get thrown off a freaking roof in Palestine? But here's, the, here's what the Palestinians have done well. They have found a common denominator amongst anyone who, who looks at themselves as victims. So that's the BLM movement. That's the Pal- uh LGBTQ movement, because they have faced oppression at some point in their life, and they like to use that victim mentality to build bridges and find that common denominator. They'll be like, oh, you experience racism? The Israelis have been doing that to us for 100 years. Oh, you're oppressed because they don't want to accept that you're trans? We've been dealing with that for 75 years. Ukrainian invasion. They're like, Russia's invading your land. You don't like that? Palestinians deal with that, too, and they build this army of victims, and they try to just, you know, unify each other, but half of them don't know in Palestine they'd be publicly executed because they have no tolerance for women's rights, let alone their own human beings, like, lives as a whole. Mm. So why are you standing with a country that doesn't value humans? I'm pretty sure if they really want to stand for the Palestinians, Gaza's got some openings now. Yeah. There's a lot of people heading south, so there might be some apartments you can get for free. So go make your stand. No, they can't. Um, right. Um, they're not going to. Obviously, they won't even go to Tel Aviv where they would be safe and not oppressed. So it's standing out for you, though. You do. You're in two. One is death, life and death. Yeah. You're, you're actually standing up for it. the other is having fun. Yesterday was the NBA. The start of the NBA season, right? No, I missed it. I, you know what it is? So, of course, being in New York, I'm a big Knicks fan and I was invited to the home opener. I think it's tonight or tomorrow. I cannot bring myself to go to a game right now. Because I love basketball and I would have the best time ever, but I'd have that guilt. I'm like, oh, my God. They're, my my city is burning down with protests. People in Israel are dying, and I'm going to go sit courtside at a Knicks game eating popcorn next to, like, I don't know, Tracy Morgan. I, I just can't do it right now. It feels a little tasteless, but it is my job, and I feel like sometimes we just need to sacrifice for the right thing. So, like, I've been devoting my platform away from sports for the last two weeks and only on highlighting Right. The tragedies of what's happening in Israel, because I know soon the narrative is going to flip quick. How's your family handling it? Nobody's handling it great. 
You know, it's hard. Like, do you more videos. Do you have any all. links to Israel directly? Absolutely. All my cousins, my great grandma just passed away, but she was there. My entire mother's side is in Israel and my father's side too. And I have two cousins in the IDF right now. What do they say? They're in intelligence, so we don't really discuss much. Um, they are really worried about like cybersecurity, so they don't WhatsApp us a lot. But, you know, they're working 48 hour shifts, 36 hour shifts, and I don't contact them a lot, but nobody's at ease right now. Like, I'll call my aunt. You know, very casually on FaceTime. And she's like, let me call you back. There's no service in the bomb shelter and there are missiles. And I'm uh, like, oh, my God, she's not even, like, up north or down south. Like, she's smack in the center of Tel Aviv. All right, a few more minutes with Emily Austin at the top of the hour. This really hits home for her, speaking up, talking, and speaking out, and uh, and ripping some of the people that are going to be protesting for the po- – oh, and rallying for the Palestinians and Hamas today. Brian Kilmeade Show, don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. All right, Emily Austin's here, sports reporter, but host of the Hoop Chat. And by the way, this is not her expertise. That's one of her expertise. But it also is, at 22 years old, standing up for her generation, letting them know it's good to have an opinion. Uh, It's good to stand up, in this case, for Israel. And maybe get some information before you make a fool of yourself and march across town uh, promoting Hamas. So, Emily, you want to build on the social media aspect of it. You yeah. think and you've come to the conclusion that most people your age get all their information from TikTok, from social media. They're not watching the news. I don't, no. I'm not, don't take offense to that. It bothers me and worries me, but they're not watching. Yeah, I found that by accident. I was telling everyone like on my platform and my Instagram and my friends, like, hey, everyone, watch me on Gutfeld. Watch me on Varney. And they're like, we don't have live cable. We don't watch the news. And I go to them, so how do you know what the hell is going on? And they're like, we watch TikTok, we're on Twitter, and we're on Instagram, which completely debunks the fact that social media narratives don't matter. Because if this is where people get their information from, they do. And I'll tell you a great example. Just the other day, I don't know if you know, I was a judge for Miss Universe this past year, and all the Miss Universe girls follow me. And they all have huge platforms in their own countries. And one of the girls posted something very pro-Palestine, donate money to Gaza. And I'm like, great, handing money to Hamas, amazing. And... When I messaged her, where did you get this information? She's like, what do you mean? It's been all over Instagram. And I go to her, but do you actually know what's happening between Israel and Palestine? She's like, no, but look at all the comments and look at the outrage and look at the celebrities speaking up. And I was like, so you took information from celebrities who are also not experts based off of what's sexy in the comments. And you made your own post for people to donate money to a cause you don't know about. She was like, yeah. So now I had to be on damage control and tell her to take it down and explain to her why I was wrong. But do you know how many times I did that this week with people with huge platforms? For, for athletes, too. Athletes, Miss Universe girls, um, comedians, celebrities, anyone. You name it, I'm like on on the phone. I'm like, does anyone know the Celtics owner this guy just posted? Does anyone know the Golden State owner this guy just posted? Or I'm like calling them myself. So I'm like, hey, Meta World Peace, let me tell you about this conflict. And fortunately for me, they're willing to listen, which is great. Right. If you got Ron Artest to listen, that would be very he unique. Did. He, he did. He did. Did he really? Yes. Right. He is did. he keeping that name, by the way? He is. And that's why he's like, I'm going to save this conflict. I'm world peace. I'm like, get in there, Meta. <laughs> right. One of the most interesting guys around. Totally, right? yeah. yeah. Uh, he's kind of in, from went to St. John's. Mm-hmm. Real quick, do you think the Rick Pitino is going to turn St. John's around like this year? No. It's going to take years. It's going to take, yeah. It's, it's building the team chemistry. It's building that championship mentality. They'll do great, I'm sure, but championship. It's like saying the Knicks will win. Like, I love you guys. Wish you would, but I'll be more patient. Well, I'm not saying a championship, but the Knicks are going to get past the first round this year. I think they'll get If they stay healthy, the if they make a quick move and somehow in the break. 
I think we'll make a playoffs run. Right. And the Nets? Give up on them. Just, Do not keep up. <laughs> just go back to Jersey. <laughs> they're building up. No, they're not. Name me right. three players on All the right. Nets. Are you taping this, Eric? Ben Simmons is going to have a big year. Six foot ten. He'll bring the ball up. He's going to distribute the ball. He wants to play. Do you agree? Wants to play? Maybe. I don't know. I said this yesterday. I think he's too. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Martha McCallum is the only guest I want this hour, and Pete has answered my command. And Allison finally gave in. So just going to be Martha in about 20 minutes. But meanwhile, we got some time together. We'll even try to squeeze in some calls, Pete, if you want to screen them. Uh, and also, just a quick announcement. Uh, Teddy and Booker T comes out uh, on November 7th. Meanwhile, i got a whole bunch of dates. I'm going to be going around the country my first big date where I would get on stage and it's a chance to get tickets and uh, VIP opportunities is in Ray Bank, New Jersey, November 9th. That'll be Thursday. And then I'm going to be in Pittsburgh, going to be in Skokie. I'm going to be uh, all over the place. So I hope to see you in person, uh, whether it's Connecticut or, or Alabama or Texas. You'll see it all on BrianKillMe.com. So I hope to see you out there. Uh, and you can also order books from there. If you want a personalized copy for the holidays, you can do that. So uh, we have a lot going on. In, in about 45 minutes, we're going to see a massive walkout of all the local college campuses. In about two hours, an hour and 20 minutes, we're going to see the President of the United States do something he hasn't done in a long time. A joint presser with the Australian uh, president, and he's going to have to take questions. None are going to be about Australia, believe me. And we'll cover some of that. And we might get a speaker in 50 minutes. I think we're set on Mike Johnson. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Democracy is messy sometimes, but it is our system. This conference that you see, this House Republican majority, is united. Fourth might be the charm. Three weeks after Kevin McCarthy's undeserved ouster, looks like Louisiana's Mike Johnson might have the votes. Might. I'll break it down. Number two. But I think at some point, if this continues, what we're seeing being done by the Iranian-supported Shia militia in Iraq, that there will have to be a response to Iran, not not to those uh, militias. General, I hope the Biden administration listens to you, General Petraeus. Iran surrogates attack U.S. forces in greater number and in greater casualties than we were told. Shockingly, we do not hit back. Why does this president not understand their weakness only breeds more attacks? Number one. The urban warfare situation they're going to find themselves in is going to be very violent and very bloody. But the longer that you delay, it just allows your adversary to continue to to prepare and to dig in. And Israel runs the risk of losing its political support if it lets this go for too long. Brent Sandler knows taxes. He's a former Pentagon official, Israel at war. But could they be open to a pause, a pause for people, specifically hostages? While it's great for the innocent captives, how does this play into Hamas's blood-soaked hands exactly like they wanted it? And that is indeed the problem. So I'm torn. I think you're probably torn, too. I mean, you see these hostages walk out and you say to yourself, wow, 85 years old, kept under the ground, grabbed out by the hair, thrown on a motorcycle, gone flying through the open plains into a tunnel in Gaza, forced to be there with our 85-year-old husband, with another she gets released, her husband left behind, knowing these people are tortured. I don't want to callously say, let's just bomb them. 
But I will say that I find it hard to believe that there's a better chance of them living if we wait than as opposed to go in. Who knows? The way the Israeli intelligence works, don't you think there's more than a little bit of a chance they have an idea where they are, even though this is a network of spider tunnels as described by this escaped hostage? Meanwhile, yeah, hostage. You know what? I love this, too. One of the Hamas officials called them uh, detainees. Detainees? What are you talking about? Detainees. Uh, Or guests. Guests. You grabbed them out of their house, murdered their family. In one case, one guy's arm is blown off. You throw them in the back of a pickup truck, and they're not hostages. And that's why these people are marching in cities near you, off college campuses, rallying in Times Square. I never, and I've said this, when it came to sanctuary cities, I'm stunned. I go, this is the stupidest thing I ever saw in my life, and now they realize it. Not enforcing crime. Are you crazy allowing shoplifters to get away with $1,000? That is nuts. Emptying the prisons. Are you crazy? Where is the logic? All of this stuff is proven true, which we all knew. You have these policies. All these going to do is get the criminal mind more active and make the, the hardworking people of America more like more be, more victims. Here's more from Brett Sadler. I'll let him finish his thought. Cut four. No matter how long they take and how much information, the urban warfare situation they're going to find themselves in is going to be very violent and very bloody. But there is a there's a point, a breaking point at which you get diminishing returns. But the longer that you delay, it just allows your adversary to continue to to prepare and to dig in. But also. There's also the political warfare that's being waged throughout the world with the protests yeah. in capitals all over the world. And Israel runs the risk of losing its political support if it wait, lets this go for too long. Yeah, and it's, it's happening. And what happens is, you know, you see the president uh, Macron go visit. The president of the Netherlands comes and sees today. Czech Republic is there. And what they're going to say is, you know, we, we feel terrible what happened. It's just as bad as we thought. But, you know, I'm feeling bad for the Gazans, too. And there are innocent people being killed. I don't believe the numbers, but there are innocent people being killed. What they don't understand is the blood's on Hamas's hands. But there are innocent people being killed. And the longer that happens, the more they're going to say, you know, America, you're out of control. You know, uh, get your, get your uh, surrogate out of control. Uh, get back in control. And this is the type of administration that will sit on Benjamin Netanyahu, who I hope is strong enough and not so rattled as after his epic fail, allowing this to happen unintentionally, of course. But listen to what the U.N. General Secretary had to say yesterday, and now you understand after you hear it why there was a need to try to retract it and clarify today. Listen, cut eight. It is important to also recognize the attacks by Hamas did not happen in a vacuum. The Palestinian people have been subjected to 56 years of suffocating occupation. They have seen their land steadily devoured by settlements and plagued by violence, their economy is stifled. Okay. Now, I think there should be some clarity here. If you're just tuning into the Middle East craziness, there's been a series of peace agreements really since the 40s that they tried to bring in from the West, and we took the mantle really in the 70s, at which time resulted in the 67 war in which all these Arab nations lost, the 73 Yom Kippur war in which initial victories ended up in a massive defeat, and then there were the Oslo agreements and a series of attacks and incursions. Now it's Hezbollah instead of Syria. Now instead of uh, Egypt, you have Hamas. You have Iran being the fomenter and the financer of all this terror because they believe uh, Israel has to be driven into the sea. 
And every time there was an agreement, whether it was the secular, so-called secular, Yasser Arafat with the Palestinian Liberation Organization, there was a sense we could bring peace, let these two peoples live side by side. There was a talk of having the West Bank and a big bridge to Gaza, and that could be an area in which international aid would flow in and you could pave the streets with gold. Instead, in a situation where Yasser Arafat dies, Abbas reigns, a weak leader, an evil guy it seems, now elderly— he ends up losing an election to Hamas. They get ousted from Gaza. Still, Gaza gets aid. And the millions that they get from Qatar and others like Egypt and Jordan, they use it to build bombs and rockets. Eighty percent of Gaza lives in poverty, not because of Israel. It's because of Hamas in charge, elected, that allows that to foment and not give back to the people. And they sit there keeping their people at bay by saying Israel is doing this. And for those who say there's too much security at the gate, and it's stifling. It's a human prison. Well, how how stifling was that gate when it was cut through, bulldozed down, and 1,400 Israelis, most of which were civilians, were literally massacred, decapitated, tortured, and killed? So we tried to walk it back by you doing that. Well, yeah, it was a terrible attack, but what do you expect? He walked this back within 30 minutes. Listen to what he just said. I am shocked by the misrepresentations by some of my statement yesterday in the Security Council as if, as if I was justifying acts of terror by Hamas. This is false. It was the opposite. In the beginning of my intervention yesterday, I clearly stated, and I quote, I have condemned unequivocally the horrifying and unprecedented 7 October acts of terror by Hamas in Israel. But he goes on to say it's not in a vacuum. It's not as if you misspoke. I know all about misspeaking. Just Google me. There are things you say. There's no script here. You know, I'll read some statements. I'll go to some sound bites, but there's no script. You can misspeak. But the guy was reading off written remarks. It didn't happen in a vacuum. 56 years of being denied land and suffocating sanctions and everything else that he went on to say. He didn't say it by mistake. He's saying that we didn't take the whole speech where he said it's horrible that Hamas uh, did this to Israel. But still, I don't like even the excerpt being both in the same speech, but that's me. But it shouldn't be catching them by surprise, a a big push by Israel to get him to resign, but the U.S. is not backing them, so nothing will happen. Lastly, what has also come out is we're being attacked on a regular basis much worse than I could have, than I thought. And because of that, uh, the fact is it's such a disgrace that we have not hit back. And once again, this administration that I thought embarrassed me with the slow walking of weapons in Ukraine and not getting them ready for the incursion, even though telling everyone the Russians were about to invade by the exit from Afghanistan, the weakness with uh, China, allowing the Philippines to get knocked out of the South China Sea. That doesn't matter as all that stuff matters and plays right into this. A drone attack in the uh, Al Tov garrison over in Syria injured 20 Americans. Two dozen American service members injured in attacks on Iraq and in Syria, according to CENTCOM. We have a pathetic response to what could be to 14 attacks, 90 over the last two years. There's been no response. All we hear is we will respond at a time and place in which we're ready. Well, we're 90 attacks in with four responses. I'm more than ready. And as an American, I'm offended that you have not answered back. That it struck uh, David Petraeus, too. Here's what he said. Cut 21. 
I think we're going to have to do something to Iran. There's a variety of actions that we can take. Uh, certainly, first of all, of course, we're increasing the force protection very substantially, rushing additional air and uh, ballistic missile defenses and so forth out there. But I think at some point, if this continues, what we're seeing being done by the Iranian-supported Shia militia in Iraq, that there will have to be a response to Iran, not not to those uh, militias. Right. Here's Derek Van Orden, the Navy SEAL turned congressman in Israel, said this, cut 22. What they need to do is reenact every sanction on steroids that we've had for Iran right now. Iran needs to understand that uh, if they are, in fact, dealing with uh, the United States in the, a manner like this, that they, need, they will be penalized immediately. And this is what they need to tell everybody. Anybody who has ever touched an American citizen is already a dead man walking. And anybody who is holding American hostages here in Gaza, they're going to join that club fast. They need to release our people. We have to show strength from the Biden administration, and that's not happening right now. And we killed 29, and where's the reprisals there? We'll pick a time and place, and we'll tell Benjamin Netanyahu to take his time. Really? I'm going to ask Martha McCallum that. Maybe have you weigh in, or you could write me at briankillme.com. You're going to love the new website. You could just click on comments, and I'll get it. It goes right to my uh, account. Uh, so a lot going on. President of the United States is going to be having a press conference in an hour and 10 minutes. We might have a speaker uh, a vote in 40 minutes. Don't have to move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at briankilmeadeshow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmeade coming up. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. If what you're saying to avert a ground incursion, that is a question for the Israeli Defense Forces. They get to make the decisions about what operations they're going to conduct or not. Uh, we don't believe that uh, a ceasefire right now um, is, is uh, what we would believe that a ceasefire right now is only going to benefit Hamas. You know, uh, when Admiral Kirby took over, I'm convinced of it now. I think that Jen Psaki was actually making policy. I think that uh, KJP is not capable and uh, Admiral Kirby just wings it because he's a very smart guy and very experienced, but he does no one briefs the briefers. They don't put him in the meetings. So the stuff they say is they're basically just doing word. They're doing policy jazz, kind of weaving their way through. So listen to this, Martha McCallum, whose show starts at three o'clock, whether you want it to or not. Uh, this is the Wall Street Journal saying this. Israel has agreed for now to request from the U.S. to get air, to get its air defense in place to protect U.S. troops in the region ahead of an expected ground invasion of Gaza. This according to U.S. and Israeli officials. The Pentagon is scrambling to deploy nearly a dozen air defense systems to the region, including U.S. troops serving in Iraq, Syria, Kuwait, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE to protect them from missiles and rockets. U.S. officials have so far persuaded the Israelis to hold off until those pieces are in place. Uh, Martha, your reaction, if this is true. Well, it's good to be with you, Brian. Uh, You know, this is becoming, you can look at it a couple of ways. It's either becoming a -a whack-a-mole situation. I think in the short term, that's what it is. You have to ask yourself, how did we get here, right? How did we allow Iran to um, get something like $70 billion over the last uh, 10 years or so? How did we allow them to make so much money off of their oil production? The the appeasement process for Iran has obviously failed in a grand 
way. They are empowered. They feel this is the moment for them to move forward. They want to wipe Israel off the map. They're going to be coming at us from a number of directions. I think they look at President Biden and team and say, you know, their reluctance to speak very clearly on this issue about what they're going to do. We heard of a red line from Blinken the other day. We haven't heard that from President Biden. He'll be speaking later today. We'll see if we hear that from him then. But they have there's nothing if you are Iran, there's nothing coming towards you that makes you think that you can't keep going forward. And my question for today is, are are the attacks we've seen on U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria? I would if I was in that news conference today, I would say to President Biden, are the, is that a minor incursion? Right. Is this the minor? Referring to the is Russian this the minor incursion by Iran? We saw the minor incursion by Russia, and look where we are. So my question is: Do you consider what's happened to our troops so far a minor incursion? And where is this going? I want you to hear. This is you talk about a lack of muscle. I mean, just so with the way people hold themselves. Whatever you think of the Bush years, and I, I actually think would they lose competence? You might not agree with them, but no one said Dick Cheney wasn't competent. Nobody said Rumsfeld was incompetent. Nobody said Colin Powell was incompetent. No one said George Shulster in the Reagan years was incompetent. No one said that Jim Baker was incompetent. You might go, wow, I disagree with Bob, uh, Bob Gates. Okay. But I never felt as though he didn't understand what was going on or the gravity of the situation. When I see Jake Sullivan, Anthony Blinken, I, when I see President Biden, when I see Kamala Harris, I don't think they understand the impact of what's going on and the responsibility that they have and the options that they should use. For example, Anthony Blinken, knowing what we now know, that there's been 14 attacks on our troops in three days. Cut 17. The United States does not seek conflict with Iran. We do not want this war to widen. But if Iran or its proxies attack U.S. personnel anywhere, make no mistake, we will defend our people, we will defend our security swiftly and decisively. No, you don't. So this is another case of trying to sort of put the toothpaste back into the tube, right? If on October 7th they made it very clear that this was coming from Iran and that they wouldn't allow this to happen and that they clearly wouldn't allow it to move any further. And if anybody touched a hair on the head of any of our military in the region, that there would be hell to pay. And so now it's like, you know, this this process mm-hmm. of trying to put it back together and, and be tough here and there, it simply doesn't work. Right. We're not we're not asking people to punch above their weight. We are the highest weight class. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Democracy is messy sometimes, but it is our system. This conference that you see, this House Republican majority, is united. I'm honored to have the support of my colleagues, and what they understand about this is this is servant leadership. We're going to serve the people of this country. Now that is Mike Johnson of Louisiana, uh, a evangelical Christian, conservative by all counts, big defender of the president's during his impeachment and even on the 2020 election dispute. Martha McCallum here. Martha, I got the sense after four rounds of the most embarrassing, unnecessary civil war in any part of that I've seen in my lifetime. I have a feeling that Johnson's going to get it today. Yeah, I have that feeling as well. 
Um, I've been reaching out to people. There's cautious optimism that Mike Johnson can close the deal here. I think that there is a collective humiliation factor that forces uh, whoever comes forth to be probably the person who's going to get it. I, if you remember, during the 15 rounds of voting for Kevin McCarthy, who was right next to him and in his ear the entire time Mike Johnson. If you look back at that video, Mike Johnson was very instrumental in handling, corralling those votes for McCarthy. And I think he can probably pull this off for himself as well. He's kind of an old school politician. Uh, he's a young guy, but I think he's reasonable. I think he's not flashy. I think he doesn't care if people don't know his name. And I think we need a little bit more of that all across the board. That should be owned the only way you do it. Exactly. It be, hey, I got to go serve. I got to go represent my county, my district. Yep. And I'll see you in four years. Citizen or two years. representation. That would be great. So, Absolutely. By the way, he had the, the ability to start in radio. And I think this is easy compared to surviving in radio. That was his first job. <laughs> so then he became a, a lawyer. Yeah, he's a lawyer. And now he's, uh, he, he might be the next speaker. A couple of things. 19 missed the vote yesterday or 20, depending on who you talk to. Three voted present. So are those 19, like Derek Van Orden coming back from Van, Tel Aviv, I'm sure he's going to vote for him. But are there any other crazies out there? So, no, they, no, no. He protested the You know, he was on Trump's side in the election. You know, is there any Adam Kinzinger types, Liz Cheney types? I don't think so at this point, but you don't know. I don't know. They did a roll call vote, apparently, after they did the conference vote yesterday, just as kind of a feeler. Um, and there were people who weren't around for that either. So I don't know how solid they are on the number, but I know they've tested it a couple times and they say they're feeling pretty good. So now the last guy I want to hear from is Matt Gates, but I'll play it. Cut 32. Kevin McCarthy did everything he could to scuttle Mike Johnson. Without announcing his candidacy, he had like 40 people vote for him to try to create a ballast against anybody getting to 217 votes, but we smoked him out. We demanded a roll call vote, vote, and on a roll call vote, no one voted for Kevin McCarthy. Uh, we had votes for Mike Johnson across the board, and uh, from some of the most conservative members of our conference to some of our frontliners, there was enthusiastic support. So he is such a clown, self-centered ass. Uh, I have no patience for him. His problem is with Kevin McCarthy, and he hurt the country. Because then i got to get these appropriations bills done. Do you know it's, like, it's hurting the dollar? People are looking at, I don't know if I'm going to invest in the dollar. The American government doesn't look like a good investment in Treasury bills. Yeah, that's I mean, insane. it's impossible. It's impossible to oversee while Israel yeah. is under attack like this. I don't think that a few days from now anyone's going to care about this messy speaker race, honestly. Um, it was embarrassing for them, but I don't really think that it stays that long. Once there's a speaker, also, I don't think mo- – I'm sad to say this, but I, I think that most of the country doesn't know who the vice president is, and that's just not this vice president. It's any vice president. Uh, so I would not bet a lot on how many can name the Speaker of the House. But do you think from those people that do this job in the Senate and the House – they're going to think twice before they wildcat it again, before they just say, I'm not playing ball, whether it's the Tea Party who has great points, but at one point you got to sign on and compromise, or whether it's the Freedom Caucus that at one point has a, has a great platform, but sometimes you don't have enough people, so you have to compromise. Do you think there's any sense that, man, I looked over the water's edge, I saw that embarrassment, mm-hmm. I don't want that to be me? 
Well, I would say this. You know, we heard a lot about the policy differences that exist, the very deep ideological differences that exist. And then we also heard about that these intense feuds that exist between these grown men and women, uh, which I think is ridiculous. Look at the other side. Do you think they don't have all the same sort of policy divides and ideological divides and deep grudge, you know, I hate her and she hates him, stuff going on in the Democrat Party? Of course they do. Of course they do. But now it's only it only looks like Republicans have these issues. Democrats have these issues. They know how to put a clamp on it. Nancy Pelosi was always able to get all of uh, her ducks in a row and herd the cats and any other metaphor that you want to use. So that's the lesson that Republicans need to take from this. Also, no one cares about egos. No one cares about these people's, you know, their star power. Nobody cares. People want them to do, you know, take a lesson from Tom Brady. Do your job. Right. And just so you know, just uh, the people that usually have problems, uh, Chip Roy, I'm not saying he's been a problem this time, but he's very conservative. He's happy. Ken Buck is on board. Mm -hmm. He's been a problem from day one. Carlos Jimenez, who said Kevin McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy, says, I'm very happy with this. So I think they're going to get a speaker. My hope is that, that they change gears. And just in fairness to Democrats, we remember the squad was speaking up and speaking out. And Nancy oh, sure. Pelosi came out and said they just got here and they did a deal behind closed doors that she that's got another right. two years when she promised to retire after two years. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Um, so they, they figure it out. Republicans need to. The other thing that they should do while they're at it is empower the speaker pro tempore so that if this happens again, there's no reason to have a speaker pro tempore if that person can't actually do the job while they're finding someone else. So they need to fix that problem as well. So they say legislation is the thing that stopped, but they said the committees were meeting. But the problem is they kept having to go into these closed door sessions and being pulled out. So they so so for example, you love Mike Johnson's the best, right? Well do you think that Mike Johnson is going to get eleven appropriations bills done in two weeks? He is going to need, drum roll please, a CR. Same thing that guess who did that? Kevin McCarthy. It's gonna need no we're not and is that Matt Rosendale gonna say, I don't give CRs. I'm tired of CRs. Well you just created a catastrophe with your vote. You know you, what? So th- we're I mean, be I think most again. of America is tired of CRs, honestly, and I, it would be great for them to figure out how to get their work done. But you can't have regular order and get it done in two weeks. Yeah. Well, you know what? They always are up to these deadlines. And the problem is, and I think this is true, the problem is that all of these special interests and lobbyists have all these people in their back pocket. They push it until the final day so that they can't put through a budget in the way that they should. That's a problem. And that is what they're doing. That way they can bury their special interests in the final minute and nobody notices. And that's a huge problem. See, what I think, and you can call me naive, I actually think they were going to get their appropriations bills done. I think they were going to do it in November. They already had four done. And the problem was this, not Kevin McCarthy going on vacation. They said that the Republicans just don't agree on the spending. Republicans with Republicans, let alone if is, is it ten nine? Is it pretty much ten nine in these meetings? I think it's one. It's Probably. only one difference. So they couldn't get the ten to stand up to the nine. And the Democrats are like, you can't even get this to me. So is it Kevin McCarthy's fault? The 10 people in a committee, appropriations no, but he, committee? No, he, his margin is too small. Right. This is why he ran all across the entire country campaigning and raising money for, for months and years? months and months. And that's why he could lay out two days before the election, you know, these are the 25 seats that we're going to get. Uh, this is what it's going to look like. And if he didn't have that margin, he wasn't going to be able to govern. Well, that's exactly what happened. I just want to – this just crossed. Speaker-designate Johnson sends letter to colleagues laying out plan to fund the government. It says in his letter 
that um, he would support a stopgap bill past November 17th that expires on either January 15th or April 15th based on the consensus of a member working group that will look at a need for a CR. So, you know, there you go again. That answers my question. <laughs> there you go Martha, again. this is perfect, right? Unbelievable. I, I had the question and you had the answer. I mean, imagine if you ran a company, if you were a CEO and you kept saying, you know what, I'm going to get the budget to you, but it's actually not going to be until January 15th or maybe April 15th on, on how we're going to run your company. The board of directors would throw you out on your butt in five minutes. I know. And you got that business background. I, I have a different feel. Sometimes you get hit with a natural disaster or a Fauci-made disaster like a that's pandemic. That's why you have a rainy day fund. That's right. what that's called. And if you want to fund $100 billion in war funding and defense budget, no problem. Show me where you're going to cut right. in order to do it. It can be done. There's tremendous waste in the federal government. It can be done. I hesitate to bring it up now without taking a break, but I'll do it real quick. You ever listen to The Daily, the New York Times podcast? Yes. So they did a thing on the $1.2 trillion debt that we ran this year. Over budget, one point two trillion. Can you imagine this? We used to be over five hundred thousand five hundred billion and that was a lot. We got four hundred and fifty billion. Now we're at one point. So they said, you know what the problem is? The problem is, and again, you're the business person, you're gonna laugh at me for saying this. When the business when those rates go up, I'm not thinking about our national debt, I'm just thinking about our personal debt. So the debt that we had is now at eight percent. So we are paying as much on the debt that we owe as our defense budget. And we can't keep up to the point where I was, they are saying to people, investors around the world, go, when the world could blow up, China is one for war, and the Middle East is about to go in flames. I'm going to put my money in treasuries. They go, no. I'm not convinced America's got their act together. I'm not convinced that they're going to be able to pay this debt. I'm not putting my money into treasuries, which makes things worse and diminishes the impact of the dollar, which hurts our – that makes us the superpower. So the ripple effect of high interest rates – arguably because of the pandemic, but left up there because of this administration's spending bonanza yeah. has got us to this point. Well, well no, it's no, no surprise. We have no international credibility in how we run our finances. No surprise. Back in a moment. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I actually believe them that they didn't read the letter closely. I think they scanned it, said it was blaming Israel, and went back to surfing TikTok. Because college life today is a day spa combined with a North Korean re-education camp. It's a daycare center with a meal plan, except the toddlers can fire the adults. The fact that college presidents, who usually love to speak out about anything, couldn't find their voice to condemn the worst attacks in the Holocaust is a lot about who really controls colleges and why, if ignorance is, is, is a disease, Harvard Yard is the Wuhan wet market. Uh, I wish I could disagree with Bill Maher like the old days, mm-hmm. but he's just so on the money. Actually makes me feel better. I shouldn't say wish. Because it just makes me think that you can have the traditional Democrat right. or Republican and just say then there's the there's just a logical there's a logical club now. And there's, he can't yeah, put, he's almost astounded, Martha McCallum. Astounded that he's gotta put this in his monologue. You notice there's no laughs? Right. You know, it it's almost it, these are almost statements. And yeah. this guy does a comedy show with a monologue full of political laughter. Usually. And he he was one of the early people who both sides would listen to to call out this woke culture right and i think wokeism is is something that sort of 
at, so at one point might have felt kind of hip on a college campus. Now it's dangerous. The rubber is meeting the road here at these universities because Columbia canceled their uh, donor day, Saw essentially, that. where they were going to have, you know, everybody comes back to the campus. The board of trustees is there. I think last year they raised $70 million or something. Yeah. They canceled it. Now, I think it's fascinating. When you look at the David Mamet's piece, he went really hard after Democrats, you know, and basically saying that um, that they had been they had sort of been the Jews had been fooled by Democrats, essentially, is was what he wrote about. No joke. That's what Trump was saying. That's right. He did say it. And when you look at the Jewish vote over the last four cycles, it has just been quietly increasing for conservatives. And it's very interesting to watch what's happening. Um, but but Mamet said, you know, when your kids come home from for Thanksgiving, don't send them back. Don't send them back. It's a, it's a mistake. But you know what the biggest mistake is? They're not getting an education. Yeah. So that's why you have – this is stupidity, what we're watching. And it's ignorance. And it's not really their fault because all the way through high school and college, and I know there are good schools out there and we're grateful for them, but they're not taught about history. So they don't understand the Middle East. It's extraordinarily complicated yeah. to understand the Middle East. But if they did – I have no problem if if they really have studied it and they understand it and they say, you know, I'm actually sympathetic to the Palestinian cause. That's fine. okay. but you cannot I I, I do not walk away from any of these protests and listen to what they're saying and really get the sense that they have an understanding of what's actually been happening there for 2000 years, because that's how far back you have to go. And campuses can do it. This woman I spoke with, she went to um, a great school. She said when I was in college and she studied the Middle East, they had each student take a country. You're Jordan, you're Israel, you're the Palestinian. You have to now we're going to have debates. You're going to understand your country better than anyone. You're going to argue for your country, regardless of your own personal feelings. Every kid left that class understanding it. Do you think that's happening these days on these college campuses? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And so they're, they shouldn't send them back because they are not getting an education. And that's the saddest part of all of this. You just reminded me. I remember I did political science. I had a minor in political science. And I did my, – my professor, who we used as an interview subject, was one of the Sovietologists, not even Russian, Soviet, Soviet expert. Mm-hmm. And it was before the wall fell. And he said, let's negotiate a nuclear agreement. And we did it. And then he go, now flip sides. You get it from the Soviets. And just to get the Persian missiles down, it yeah. was back and forth and back and forth. And then we'd go and check the paper and check history and go. And we thought, this is unbelievable. And then all of a sudden, I graduate and I'm watching the wall go down. I go, no one could have possibly imagined that. The Russians would be that we're a time of peace. Yeah. Eastern Europe would get their freedom on down. And now the Russians are reconfiguring, trying to mass up and become the Soviet Union again. And people don't understand why Ukraine's important. They don't understand the need to stop this aggression because they don't know World War One and they don't know World War Two and they don't know the Russian mindset. And they don't even pay attention to Georgia losing two provinces right. in 2004, I think it was. No, it's so true. And if you don't understand... Um, you know, what happened with the with the Russian sub that went down, the humiliation that that caused for Putin. If you don't understand what happened in the theater um, with the Chechen uh, situation, that also deep humiliation for, for Vladimir Putin. If you don't understand his connection, his visceral connection to the Russian empire, he doesn't want to take it back to the Soviet Union. He wants to go back further than that. He wants it to be the Russian empire again. So you know, if you don't have an understanding of, of all of this, he believes Ukraine is part of Russia, right? Because he's an empire 
centered thinker. So, you know, the problem is we're not educating. We're not educating kids. We're letting them take classes in in Harry Potter and, you know, uh, gender issues and all of these things. It's like college is fast. It goes quickly. You got to have core courses that everyone has to take if you want to graduate educated students. And you got to pick the right major. A major of substance. So, so look, you don't know what's going on. You don't really know what you're majoring. Join the club. But beyond that, Brian, you have to have a core curriculum. And kids don't want to go to schools where there's a ton of core. But I will tell you, because I have some kids who went to these schools, you cannot graduate from these institutions without two years of Western civilization history sure. that you have mastered. Okay? And all of these other courses that make you a well-rounded thinker. You can, you should not be able to go to college and graduate with a specialist in women's gender studies. If you want to study that in part, of course, that's an elective. Study it. But you can't graduate unless you understand the dynamics of the Middle East, unless you understand the Russian Empire, unless you understand World War One, World War II. That's an education. I hear you, and that's great. But you, your kids, you've done did, a good job, by the way, with your books of making a great attempt to lay that out for people. And I, and I think it's it, thank you. Should. And I think I'm going to be on with you in a couple of weeks. Yes, you Teddy are. And Booker T. I'm looking forward to it. Um, also, go to BrianKillMe.com if you want to pre-order. I'm going to be in New Jersey, which you are the queen of New Jersey, uh, in Red Bank on November 9th. Thank so you. So go get tickets. I'll talk about all my books in history, and then take the barbs and the slings and arrows. <laughs> Thanks, Martha. See you great three. Great being with you, Brian. The Will Kane Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.